I'm Carrie Fountain, and this is Just to Say, where we talk to poets about the poems they make and the poems they love. Poetry's about anarchy, it's about mystery, it's about dreams, it's about, you know, the unknown. I made myself anew in poetry. The poem invites the world to come celebrate. My name is Mahogany L. Brown, and the name of this poem is Black Girl Magic. They say you ain't supposed to be here, black girl. You ain't supposed to wear red lipstick. You ain't supposed to wear high heels. You ain't supposed to smile in public. You ain't supposed to smile nowhere, black girl. You ain't supposed to be no more than a girlfriend. You ain't supposed to get married. You ain't supposed to want no dream that big. You ain't supposed to dream at all. You ain't supposed to do nothing but carry babies and carry felons and carry weeds and carry silence and carry families and carry confusion and carry a nation, but never an opinion. Because you ain't supposed to have nothing to say, black girl, not unless it's a joke. Because you ain't supposed to love yourself, black girl. You ain't supposed to find nothing worth saving in all that brown. You ain't supposed to know that Tina, Beyonce, Cecily, Shonda, Rhymes, Shine, 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 black girl. You ain't supposed to love your mind. You ain't supposed to love. You ain't supposed to be loved up on you. You only supposed to pose voodoo child, vixen style. You're supposed to pop out babies and hide the stretch marks. You're supposed to be still. So still they think you statue. So still they think you chalked outline. So still they keep thinking you stone. Until you look more Medusa than Viola Davis. And you sound more Shanae than Kerry Washington. And to your more side-eyed than Michelle Obama on a Tuesday, but you tell them. You are more than a hot comb in a Washington set. You are Kunta Kinte's kin. You are a black girl worth remembering, and you were a threat knowing yourself. You were a threat loving yourself. You were a threat loving your kin. You were a threat loving your children. You black girl magic. You black girl fly. You black girl brilliant. You black girl wonder. You black girl shine. You black girl bloom. You black girl. Black girl and you turning into a beautiful black woman right before our eyes. That was amazing. Our listeners should know that you recited that from memory rather than read it, which is, I don't think we've had anybody recite anything from memory on the show. So that seems really keen before I ask you, I just am really curious to know how this poem came to be, how it came together. What is your process like for this particular poem? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think this poem, um, it was created really uh, after attending a lot of like rallies and uh, protests and speak ups and speak outs um, in these community engaged spaces where the women and the matriarchs um, were, you know, were, were serving as leaders and as pillars more times than not, these women had lost a child and were still there despite their grief. And so, I just wanted to have some type of a, some type of reclamation of of the joy of them being there and them being themselves and all the things that they survived to you know to be there in that moment. And what does it look like to just uh, celebrate these people, these women, um, mothers and sisters, uh, in the midst of all of this you know tumultuousness. So the the poem started off as just like, you know, a love letter to black women. And, and then it became, I think, you know, uh, an anthem for me. And to see it be really, it, it galvanized a, a lot of other 
like folks I've never met in my life um, and of all ages. It just galvanized and mobilized a lot of um, young black and brown women's voices. So um, I think it's doing the work that I, I, I wanted it to do, even though I did not understand the impact or, you know, really the reach that it had. The, I knew that it was necessary. I just didn't know it would spread like wildfire. And um, I'm really grateful. And how does it come together? Like, do you write it down? Do you sort of perform it as one might perform, like a, or, or like rather one might rehearse something that they are going to perform? Like, when, how, when does it come together? How does it come together? Uh, sure. It starts always out as a draft that I'm writing either on the phone, typing up maybe on Twitter, I try to use all writing uh, mediums to, you know, start the poem. Um, And then, of course, after the first draft is done, I start reading it out loud, and that's when I, you know, sonically I understand, okay, this is where this works, or, oh, that's not even, you know, how I would speak, so how do I um, not compromise the integrity of um, what I want to happen, you know, as a melody, um, to the page. So it goes hand in hand, this dance of, you know, words on the page and how it translate, translates on stage. Um, but it always starts off with me writing it down. And are there drafts of this poem that are like two pages longer than it is now or super short or like, did it come out fully formed or I'm not fully formed. I'm obviously nothing comes out fully formed, but um, was it always this length? Was it ever longer or shorter? Um, I think it was shorter. Um, initially, it was shorter, and then I spoke it, and I, I I heard you know where the drops were happening, and and you know where there needed to be some more meat, some more tension, and it became quite long, and then I shortened it again. Um, so it's probably it's 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 not as long as my other poems are. Actually, I think it's about two minutes, um, but. It was one of those things that I wanted um, to be able to perform it anywhere. And because I'm in these spaces that have, you know, the clock is ticking, um, I wanted to really be able to do a, a poem that, you know, that, that paid homage with with the skill, the literary skill that, like, Lucille Clifton was, like, really, really amazing at, you know, her her um, technique with brevity and the economy of language and never losing the bite of the poem is really masterful. So I I definitely look towards, you know, um, elder poets in that way, like how did they create, you know, a 20-line poem um, and it say everything that it needs to say about this one snapshot in time. Um, So, yeah, I do. it, it, It wasn't as... It wasn't longer than three minutes, and it shortened um, a bit since then. Um, but it, it was never like just, you know, a haiku either. That There was definitely, you know, some things that I had to cut out because I realized, okay, this is not as strong an image as this other, you know, the other part. Um, I was really dedicated to leaving the pop culture moments in there because, like I said, I was interested in the snapshot in time. Um, so looking at... Uh, you know, uh, Cicely Tyson and um, Beyonce in a conversation. Like, it's very specific. Uh, Shonda Rhimes in a, in a conversation and Kerry Washington and Michelle Obama, all of those are very specific moments in history. And I wanted to be able to, to have those pop culture moments um, frame, 
you know, the space and time in, when this, in which this poem happens. So when you have this poem uh, to a point where you start performing it, and you're, you say that you're listening for the drops. Mm-hmm. What do you mean when, when you say drops? I mean drop in energy. Yeah. I mean drop in urgency. Um, sometimes um, Colleen McElroy, an amazing poet, um, also a Kaveh Kanem faculty, talked about in one of her workshops how the poet can get in the way of the poem, how we uh, tend to pontificate. You know, we, we think, oh, this, this needs, like, you know, landscaping and a sunset and a sunrise and, you know, some texture. And those things are great, and sometimes that's the poet um, muddying up the poem mm. and not allowing the poem to breathe. So what does it mean to have this, you know, in, sharp intake of breath from an audience and me honor that by letting that stillness happen, which is why um, in, the, in the poem I say... Um, so still they think you stone and then there's a break and before it wasn't like that there was other things like stone and this and that and you know talking about marble and <laughs> mm-hmm. um because i'm really trying to like build this uh build this you know le- uh, this landscape of of stone and, and in that case it, it worked out for me that stone and the breath w- did as much work um if not more mm-hmm. in me building on top of that that image that's what was so remarkable about seeing the poem, seeing you perform the poem at Malvern was that it was probably one of my first and greatest experiences of really, it's not just like audience reaction. Like you some somehow take, took the audience into the poem, you know, so that the responses of the audience were part of the poem and people felt comfortable. I mean, I think I remember like people like super vocalizing, like in the middle of your poem, not like at the end, like in the middle, like, like whooping. And (laughs) it's just like sort of all of that became part of the poem, part of the poem. Like, that's just such a, that's just something that um, is so, um, it's really amazing, I think. And it's not necessarily super common in typical poetry readings, right? Um, And I love that that's part of the process of writing. Like, that's part of your process of putting the poem together. You're not just presenting something that's like, okay, here's where the the crowd is definitely going to sigh, and this is where they're going to take a deep breath. You know, there's like, that's just all happening in the moment as you're performing it and you're still writing it. Do you, are you still, do you, have you changed it? Are you still changing it? No, that poem is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't touched it. Um, it's, t- to me, one of my most favorite um I don't know. I, I like I like what you said about the responses, um, because that that does happen. Where I just I just leave enough room um, for people to respond. I also encourage it that it, you know that it is a, a give and take. And what I really like about just um, performing uh, poetry is that. It can do whatever you need it to do. The poem can exist wherever you need it to, right? And if you just allow folks that are are witnessing and, and um, attending and, and there to be as vocal as they would be at, say, 
the you know finals for the NBA. Um, what kind of experience, what kind of homecoming for words would that look like? Would that feel like? Um, and because I I run you know several slams here in New York City, uh, I'm constantly engaging people to to experience poetry in a different way, in a different like we just like choose to change the vibe so that it feels like a conversation, not just um, a bloodletting. And there are poems that don't require, you know, a, a call and response. There are poems that don't require, you know, oohs and ahs or claps or any of those things. But what does it mean to give permission to the audience to do so if they feel it in their bones? And, and that's just what I, I try to honor that and, and, and make space for that. And not all of them are the same, you know. Like I go space, uh, go places, and I'm reading the poem, and it's just like, <laughs> like no one will say anything, and that's okay too. You like, you have to let it be, you know, what it is, and just know that 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 your poem is is doing the work, regardless of the same reaction in one space versus a different reaction in another space. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense okay. to me. It makes me like I was sitting here thinking about how when I'm in a poetry reading, say, like in an academic setting and, you know, here's like the important poet and they're going to be reading for 30 minutes and the, you know, typical um, standard reaction is that you don't even clap in between poems. You don't even clap in between poems. Like that would just be, I don't know, I don't know why, but that's just sort of the standard um, reaction that you're supposed to sort of just be very still and silent. And then they maybe do a little patter into the next poem, or maybe they just start the next poem. Um, so, you know, I'm always just, I'm, I'm like thrilled when you know, people clap between poems and readings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's like right. kind of pathetic. <laughs> like this is so. This was like for me such a seeing you perform that poem was for me such a. Um, it was really like a game changing experience oh. for me. Oh man, thank you. I want to ask you. I mean, it's also I think people don't realize that poems like this are are rare in that it is so complete that. Macmillan, the publishing company, saw it as that and p said this needs to be a, a, an illustrated book. You know, that this this is something that is there aren't a lot of poems like that. I'm trying to think of other um, <clears throat> poems that have been made into books. I know that Naomi Shihab Nye has a poem that's a book, but um, so I think that's just like such a rare and wonderful thing. And now the book is out in the world. How long has it been out? Um, it came out in January, first week of January. Okay. And I know because I've seen them, I've seen them on social media, and um, I just want you to talk a little bit, if you would, about the response that you've had. I mean, obviously, this poem has been in the world much longer than it has been in that book. But, yeah. um, I mean, I've just, I, I don't want to, like, spoiler, but, like, you know, people perform this poem now. Girls perform this poem. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about what that means to you. The the, the response has been amazing. It's going into its second printing. Um, the poem originally, uh, I was able to perform it for PBS's Brief Book Spectacular series, and it went viral. It was like within um, minutes of it being up. It was, you know, one of the 
uh, top-viewed um, poetry videos um, that they had put out, and that was um, crazy, uh, but also, like, amazing. Like, oh, cool. So, like, I, I am talking about a thing that folks want to, you know, also want to talk about. Um, and in the time, you know, that, that it came out uh, with Macmillan, um, uh, I think the editor um, who uh, my editor is just like really phenomenal in the way that she she saw me perform that poem as well and just was like, whatever you're doing, we want to support that. Let's go. And so <laughs> I said, oh, okay, well, I have this thing here. It's already ready, halfway there. Let, like, what does that look like? Um, and um, within maybe a year and a half, uh, they they vowed to put that book out and sign me for two other books, um, both being released January 29, uh, 2019 and January 2020. So it's, I think they're aware of the times that are um what what time will we say we're in like the instagram you know the quick bite like what does it mean to have um introduced the poetry that is accessible and um available um not just on online on your phones but also in this in this you know uh this easily this easily i don't know how to say it I don't want to say bite size because it's not that. It, it does a lot of work and it's a lot of layering, but in a sense, you know, it, it's it's a it's a quick read and you can go back and then you can start like, you know, pulling back the layers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I think they see that with the Instagram poets, um, and I don't. People like are really upset about that term. I don't. I don't care. Look, whatever's going to bring people to poetry, let's have that happen, and then the gate is open for them to see the world of poetry because all of it exists, right? Um, the problem is that like the most money going to like the big dollars uh, that you know the the top five publishers, the trade publishers are putting towards are not necessarily you know the same uh, train and craft. Um, focused poets uh, that that we may know of, that we may study, that have you know kept the lights on and the structure you know fortified. So I understand like you know <laughs> the anger or or the the frustration, not the anger. I understand the frustration, but uh, for us, for anyone to say like that's not real poetry is just it's not fair because we literally are going into schools and telling kids once you write your voice is valid. So who are we then to, like, take it back and be like, well, I didn't mean it It can happen like that. That's like telling someone, I told you to wash the car, but, you know, don't wipe it like that. Now, you teach them how to wipe it better, right? You you show them there are new ways, new soaps to use, and, and, and just hope that they fall in love. I hate that I use the car wash reference, but I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> just hope that they fall in love with how clean the vehicle can look, you know, and look how that clean vehicle gets us from point A to point B. Um, I think that's really what it is, though. we got to look at this at all poetry. Um, it's a part of the tree. It's a part of It's a part of the garden. And there, you know, there's the tall trees, there's the vines, um, you know, there's the things that feed us. There's the things that, you know, are bitter and keep, you know, pray away, whatever. All of it's necessary. 
And it's like that is so much of what your what that poem that you just read is about, right? It's like the space that you take up. Like, oh yeah, you can do that, but no, 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 don't take. You know, it's that's exactly that's exactly what the or not that's that's not only and not exactly what the poem is about, but there's so much of that there. You know, I when you were when you were when you were struggling to kind of come up with what word you were going to use to talk about or to describe how people um, can now take in art more easily. I mean, it it really is. It's an issue of access on like the most basic level, you know, like 10 years ago, or I mean, I guess now the internet is much older than 10 years. But when I was a, um, a, a kid, I'd like, they, we didn't have this available to us. It was like, it's like a basic a- access point. They're born knowing like mm-hmm. my, my goddaughter being able to tell me like, yeah, I'm going to just you know, jump on this uh, Instagram real quick and do an IG store. Like, to be able to do that is insane. Like, I, I, do you understand how long it took me to understand what an IG story live was and how to do it? Like, how many times people caught me looking in, in the camera with my mouth wide open trying to figure it out? Like, and they just got it. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just got it. So, like, we, we really have to evolve with the times and allow new, new, um, new generations of the word to exist mm-hmm. and, and not try to like, you know, put these parameters around what is enough or what is valid or what is official mm-hmm. instead of saying like, okay, this works and mm-hmm. how do we allow it to exist in this other world? Like how do we make it all, you know, um, available and accessible and learnable? Like, have, like this is a job. Mm-hmm. Right. We we want to make it a job. And I think more people are concerned about the certification mm-hmm. of writing and getting these MFA bills and debts so that we can then say that we're a poet rather than like the learned poet who like lived life and, you know, maybe went to prison or or had a kid and had to like write their poems on um, napkins during their break. What like your life is the poetry. So like let's bring in these voices and these and these these new experiences, and then try to, like, help understand what the line break is doing instead of, like, you know, shaming them <laughs> for not having a degree. Right. From, you know, it's the just league. Right. Like, how dare you consider that you're a poet and you only went to a law, uh, uh, what is that, uh, uh, what is the residency programs? Whatever. You, you yeah. didn't go to Cave Canem, but you went to this, you know, study abroad program and, and that's not enough like that's trash it's, and, and it's classist it's and it's gatekeeping and it's, right that's just gatekeeping on the exactly most basic level yeah. it's not about mm-hmm. it's not about that no one owns it mm. Mm. Poetry, poetry is for the people and June Jordan said it best how did you come to poetry initially or I mean has it, as a child or teenager Funny enough, I was told in my English honors class that um, my poem was bad. I should not write like that ever again, and um, I needed to do the assignment over. The assignment was to remake Dante's Inferno. Now, as an 11th grader reading Dante's Inferno, which I hated, I thought, okay, like poetry, they said we could do it any type of way. 
and to to like then be introduced to it and be like snubbed for for my attempt at you know remixing Dante's Inferno was like that was it I was done I was like I don't want to do this anyway so boom and I wanted to write I just decided poetry wasn't for me like if if I couldn't figure out a way to write with my own voice, this is before I knew who Zorna Zor- who Hurston was. This is before I knew who Sonia Sanchez was. This is before I knew who Intezaka Shange was. Um, I was just like, I- I'm not with it at all. I quit. And what was that? I guess I was 92. So like maybe five or six years later, I was introduced to it through an open mic. And a, a woman went up on stage and she performed and I, and I I laughed the entire time because she was just talking about, you know, being in love with someone who was in jail and they they disrespect what did they do? They like didn't appreciate her putting money on their books and then she like read him the riot act and broke up with him and I thought that's a poem, that's amazing. Because not only have I never experienced that, but like I know people who, who lived through that, who experienced that coming from, you know, um, the Bay Area, California, I was aware of those those incidents, those stories, but had never heard it in a literary form um, on the stage, on the mic in that way. And that was it. I fell in love, and I had been writing poetry ever since. I started full-time after leaving uh, hip-hop journalism in 2001, and I've been a full-time poet ever since. Tell me about hip-hop journalism. Ooh, I don't know if we have enough time. Um, <laughs> I loved it. You know, it's the soundtrack of my life. Um, despite the fact that, you know, the things that um, were inherently misogynistic, you know, I made space for that uh, because I understood it. However, I, I began realizing that, you know, the boys' club did not really allow for me to be safe or be or feel supported or feel heard. Um so when incidents would happen and I started telling my editors, uh the response was uh you know, get over it. Uh and this is, you know, well before the Me Too movement and all I knew is that I didn't want to I didn't want to eat crap anymore. So I decided I'm going to start writing poetry again and and of course, I just—it was just by chance that someone had invited me to an open mic because I hadn't gone in so many years, um, and I was the feature. And it would have been about two years since I had read poetry um, in front of a stage like that. And I just read the poems, and the folks re- responded in a way that reminded me, "Oh, that's right, I have a story that I can share that is necessary, and no one can tell me not to share this story because it will mess up advertising dollars." So I just I, I funneled that energy, you know, I, I shifted it completely and I started really investigating what did it mean to be, you know, black and woman and uh, a single mother and a lover of this really tumultuous um, um, music, like the music that made me believe um, made me believe some of the worst parts of myself, but also made me understand some of the the best parts of, you know, um, my world, of the men in my life, of my fathers and uncles. And what did that mean to have uh, this this um, this lexicon available to me, this vocabulary available, available to me, and know that some of it was harmful and, and how to really make peace with it 
um, to to assure that I wouldn't put myself in positions again where um, I didn't feel respected or or heard or, you know, appreciated by my male counterparts. So that was it. That was that was that was my 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 falling into this to this new world of literary. Um, I don't know the literary rabbit hole because uh, I then started doing that same dis- uh, investigation, having those same conversations about boys clubs, and there were more women on this side of of the game that were in charge. Um, but some of the instances of like how we treat each other and what was deemed acceptable were still happening. So it's it's you know it it, it gave me space and the and the legs to stand up on and really have like hard and uncomfortable discussions about misogyny and patriarchy and uh yeah that I guess I guess that's the easiest way I love hearing about moments like you know a friend took me to an open mic and I hadn't done it for 2 years and I got up and I mean Obviously, there's a million other things that led to your led you down the path to poetry. But I just love those moments of like, what if she had gone, you know, just gone to bed early that yeah. night? Yeah, right. Like, what if she had gone to work at the hospital? Like, would I be Doogie Howser? Probably not, because I don't like blood. But you never know. I, I think poetry was. I, Poetry is just another place for me to write. I, I've always wanted to be a writer since I was in fourth grade, and I was writing short stories. And even now, I'm finishing up this uh, YA novel. It's it's very much through this lens of poetry. You know, it's a, a novel in verse. And so I'm, I'm aware that poetry was the canvas that allowed me to be the writer that I always wanted to be. I just never thought I could do poetry um, because of that, like, you know, life-altering moment in AP Honors English. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I I was not in high school. I was younger, but I have a distinct memory of being told by a teacher that I wrote the way I spoke, and that was not the way you're supposed to write. You're not supposed to sound like you're talking. You're supposed to sound like there's a, you know, there's a distance and a remove. And I was like, really? That's... I'm glad we figured that one yeah, out. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> let me tell you, those, and I, I love some of them, right? Some of them do great work, and some of them are just tradition. And what we know about tradition is that some of that stuff needs to be broken. You know what I mean? Like, some, we need new traditions. We need new dialect. We need new, current, fresh dialogue. And it does not always require you to speak like Shakespeare or, you know, like Frost. Or like Keats, those are awesome, those are great, but you know who's also awesome? The people that you keep turning a cold shoulder to because they aren't following the rules that you deem should be, you know, these are the respected. Nah, we create new icons all the time. So what does it mean to have a Zora Neale Hurston shoulder to shoulder with uh, Walt Whitman? What does it mean? 
And I return again to your poem, like that clearly there is some sort of threat there too, right? Like there's some something that people are holding on to very dearly. Um, if I don't, if I am not this gatekeeper or if my voice isn't the first voice you think of when you think of a poet, then what am I? Or it's all going to be, you know, it's like this, you know, language is just going to be people talking in emojis and it's all, you know, like this like fear of change and this fear of having something taken away from you. And what I really do love so much about your work in general is just like you can think about how much space in art there is as like there's a poverty of space. And, you know, if if my space is taken then that space is gone. But th that's if you if you think of it as a wealth of space, there's a wealth of space. There's a there's a place for everyone if they want it in this world of poetry in this world of art. Then like everything just changes, you know? You that sort of feeling of like thread of like, you know, my my white male voice is going to be taken away from me and then I won't know if I'm good or whatever, you know? It's just it's not not every poem has to be for you and not every poem has to be by you. <laughs> like, that's just so basic, but it's so... Can we so... make that a t-shirt? Can we make that a t-shirt? <laughs> I, really, I will wear it at least two times a week. For certain. <laughs> that is necessary. I mean, we saw that some in, I mean, it's still within the realm of of um, white dudes arguing with each other. But we saw that some with with the decision that the uh, Nobel Prize Committee made to, to give Bob Dylan the uh, Nobel Prize. You know, I just, I could listen to people argue about that decision just endlessly. It's so amusing to me. You know? mm -hmm. People arguing why he doesn't deserve it. And what is what is then writing if it's if it's that and it's not given to and of course, there's always like, someone who should have had it who didn't get it because that person got it. And that's the true, you know, so it's just as a it's a it's a it's a point of view that is um, small, I think, rather than large and i'm only interested as a poet and as a reader to of the large i'm only interested in the largeness i'm not interested in that small view it's that's what we've had for a very long time and yeah. it's time to change yeah time to change you said find a poem from someone that inspired me yes, yes. Right? do you have time just to read that yep i got a short one sure so this poem is called abandoned by he wrote adalo and she's uh, an amazing poet in the new collection, Black Girl Magic Anthology, which is the Breakbeat Poets, Volume 2. Abandon. Whenever a black person is senselessly murdered, and I shiver through the bones at how smooth it comes like wind across my cheek, the bitter truth that waves whenever. I find myself, my other name, biting at the Atlantic. I will simply go back home. Ethiopia waits for my lips spitting my father's name so wrong. There is blood in the city I was born in, and it trails from one coast to another. I say, be yesism, and dream of flight, wondering where the dying will go. Can I pull them onto the boat I inherited? Who is to say I will not die running? Who is to say that the bullet cares anything for where I am from? Wow, that's an amazing poem. So good. 
I hope I said some of those words right. She's like a really beautiful writer. Oh, she's that's an amazing poem. All right. Thank you so much. I'm going to let you go because I know that you're on, on the run. Feel Thank better. you. Thank Bye, you. Mahogany. Bye. Take care. Bye. Mahogany Brown's Black Girl Magic has been made into a beautifully illustrated kids' book published by Roaring Brook Press and available everywhere. This Is Just to Say is produced at KUT Radio in Austin, Texas. I'm Carrie Fountain. Thank you for listening. <laughs>